Welcome to the Green Canary. Welcome back. We are your environment news podcast where we bring you the latest on everything environment, climate, energy, the politics around it all. We hope you had a lovely holiday break. I'm at Sharwood and I certainly did. I was up in the high country, which I love, uh, Kosciuszko area, the area I've written a couple of books about lately. Whereabouts did you get to, Elfie? Well, I went down the south coast to Jervis Bay, so a little bit of a different environment, but it was beautiful. Great holiday. Fantastic. Hi, by the way, sorry, should introduce myself. <laughs> um, I'm Elfie Scott. I'm a journalist and a writer, and frankly, all I want to talk about right now is the eight-hour-long Beatles documentary, but I know nobody wants to listen You've to me. You've got to let it be. Um, that was just, <sighs> it was yesterday, Elfie. Oh, God. I'm and so sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's too early in the year for Dad jokes. Continue. All right. Anyway, coming up on the show today, we're going to be talking about a new tool to see what's really going on with emissions. We're going to do our first ever movie review, which is going to be weird, but I'm excited. Mm. And we're going to be speaking about things like animal meat product. Sorry, animal meat produced in labs and more. But to kick off the new year, we need to speak about new record temperatures in Australia. And can you tell me what has happened in the Pilbara this week? Well, the Pilbara hit 50.7, which was a new equal record. The old record was uh, 50.7 in Udnadatta, South Australia, right. in uh, 1960. So this was West Australia's hottest recorded temperature. This was... Um, you know, the Pilbara is, Austra- is, is Australia's hottest area at the best of times. Um, it, it's not quite far up enough north to get the tropical moisture that makes the high humidity but, but uh, destroys the hottest of the heat. Right, you know? sure. So it's got that sort of dry desert heat. Uh, it's a hot, as I say, it's Australia's hottest place at the best of times. It was even hotter than it normally is. What does that mean? Why is that important? Well... We know the temperatures have been rising um, in Australia, uh, as they have globally, uh, for many years now. We know actually that that last year uh, ended up being Australia's uh, coolest year in in nine years, which sounds like, oh, hang on, have we got a climate change slowdown? No, we don't, because the coolest year in nine years was still about a degree above the historical norm. Right, so sure. it, it's sort of a slight dip from the last decade, but it's still way above the line. And we know that, you know, weather stations across Australia in every state are continually recording slightly warmer temperatures every year and that there are more of these hot records. Now, the old 50.7 in Udnadatta was a bit of an outlier. And that was in 1960, right? It was. And so people are saying, well, it's been 62 years. All you've done is equal that record. How does that prove climate change? Well, as I say, you can never prove anything on one record at one place. But what we know is that these 50-degree type temperatures are going to become more common. We know that three years ago in Penrith, in a suburb in an Australian capital city, we had 48.9 degrees. Um, We know that these outlier temperatures are so much more common everywhere all the time. And believe me, absolutely the thin edge of the wedge um, yeah, 50s, 50s are coming. And when I spoke this week to weather zone meteorologist Brett Dutchke and said, what is the reason for this? He said, oh, a bunch of stuff. They haven't got much of the La Nina over there in Western Australia, uh, all sorts of things. And climate 
is definitely, climate change is definitely a factor in these sort of temperatures. Yeah, right. So what we're seeing is those outlying temperatures that maybe would have once been at the tail end now sneaking into the sort of fatter part of the bell curve here. Exactly. Well said. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And I mean, we should also point out that that was not just a record in Australia. It's the highest temperature recorded in the Southern Hemisphere, correct? Yeah, that, that is that is right. I mean, Argentina's been having a heat wave as well. Um, there are parts of Southern Africa in Namibia and places like that that can get really, really hot temperatures. But yeah, this is reliably. And there's just one worth, other fact worth, worth chucking in really, really quickly. Um, some of us will have learned at school, I know I did, that there was an old record of 53.3, which is just this ridiculously hot temperature at a place called Cloncurry in Queensland, which is up there in the sort of Longreach area. Um, that a lot of people came at me on Twitter and said, Oh, it's three degrees short of the record. It's not even the record. That, <laughs> Is that what they sounded like? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, they, that's the exact tone in their voice, in their tweets. You could, you could, you could hear it. Um, that has been widely discredited. Indeed, uh, eight years ago, uh, uh, Blair Truen from the, the Bureau of Meteorology actually uh, found that that record was uh, created by a bloke who had a thermometer in a beer crate. What? Uh, and, he asked, and, and he did some testing with thermometers in beer crates and found that on average they're going to be about six degrees above what it actually is. Right. So the old 53 in Cloncurry was probably more like a 47. Long story short, it's getting hotter. Got it. And the other exciting news attached to that story, of course, is that a certain somebody retweeted your news about that on Twitter this week. Who was it? <laughs> Come gush, on, gush, Ant. gush, blush, blush. <laughs> it was terrific to get a Greta Thunberg uh, retweet. And um, it's very impressive. It's like the white whale of environmental Twitter. You did a great <laughs> job. Thank you very much. And that's <laughs> that's why I got a troll or two out there. You can imagine when someone with five million followers retweets your story about the weather, uh, they come at you, they find you. It's been a busy week, but it's been a hot week. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And speaking about heat, we are also going to talk about an interesting story this week from the Climate Council. Um, basically, there has been a new tool that they have introduced, which is a website that is allowing people to have a, a, a clearer look at emissions globally, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you know, if, if, you, if you have a look at graphs... Um, the, the Look, when the federal government uh, released its uh, net zero, the Australian way, your beauty, you know, the, that, that very patriotic document around the time of COP26 last year, um, they had a graph on page three, which we're looking at now, and it said we have reduced emissions faster than many comparable economies. And there's Australia looking really good, uh, having, you know, shaved emissions by 20% compared to... Canada's measly 1%, New Zealand's 4%, blah, 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 blah. And we, we should point out as well, like attached to this is a graph where there is like a very steep decline that they've claimed to have. And yeah. it's sort of this like beautiful piece of uh, data that's supposed to convince everybody that the Australian government's doing a bang up job. But what do we learn from this new tool? So the new tool can be found at a place called opennem.org.au. NEM's the National Electricity Market, but opennem.org. Org.au. Tim Baxter from the Climate Council and others have gotten together to actually feed in some, you might say, slightly more robust data mm -hmm. about emissions. And if you look at this next graph, 
they show a different tail. Yes, and it is like it's vastly different. So if you look at the previous graph compared to this, like it is actually pretty wild. Um, and we actually spoke to Tim earlier, or rather, Ant spoke to Tim earlier and recorded it on my phone. But <laughs> so we all played our part equally. We did. We did. Uh, so maybe we can hear that recording now, and Tim can give us a bit of a sense of why they actually did this. There's lots and lots of different ways of um, measuring emissions um, around the world and and that means that you can be really, really sneaky um, if you start mis mixing and matching and you can really tell whatever story you want if you're not particularly interested in presenting a story with integrity. Um, the purpose of this tool is that um, largely because there hasn't been a way for an everyday citizen to really get the, the reliable version, you know, a consistent, methodologically sound, easy to interrogate way to look into the data. I think that that really talks about why they wanted to create, which is nice to hear. And I, yeah, there were some interesting reasons that Tim gave you for how the government has fudged data previously to infer that maybe that like lowering, that beautiful lowering graph <laughs> that we saw earlier was actually accurate, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the government um, fudged is a strong word, but but possibly not an unfair one in, in, in this context. Um, as, as Tim explained to us, the government... Um, lent heavily on the fact that Australian deforestation has slowed and land clearing for, for a couple of reasons. And they also... It's mostly state government intervention, isn't it, yeah, really? Yeah, that, that's right. And they, you know, but that has nothing to do with um, the emissions that we use in mm -hmm. the rest of the economy. We're still one of the worst, uh, most emissions-heavy producers of electricity uh, in the Western world, for example. Um, but, but secondly, uh, the data... Uh, showing we reduced uh, emissions uh, was taken with a year of the pandemic. Um, now, this is disingenuous in the extreme because it was compared to countries um, before the pandemic started. Now, obviously, emissions dropped off in the pandemic, so it was kind of cheating, really was. You said fudged, I've said cheating. It was certainly playing with the data to make it look like Australia's rec uh, emissions record was was getting better. Mm. And this new data source at opennem.org.au, which you can play with, and there's lots of other cool stuff there, shows the average Joe, like me, like you, Elfie, like everybody out there, um, it actually shows you what the actual em emissions picture actually is. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. All right, well, now moving into the next topic, this is going to be like a little bit of an interesting one because for a start, I've always been sort of like, science and facts journalism and whenever I've tried to stray into like cultural journalism and actually like talking about TV and film has gone down like a sack of bricks <laughs> but let's talk about the movie Don't Look Up shall we because I think that this has caused some really interesting conversations online it's certainly very relevant to climate scientists because you know it's built on this analogy of a comet hurtling towards the earth and you know it's supposed to represent in a way what we're experiencing with climate change change um yeah and you made me watch this movie last night like in the three hours that I had before bed thanks very much but still I I thought it was really interesting and I wanted to know what you thought of it I want to know what you think first and I know you don't do that you don't you don't get thrown to and then throw back but I tell you I tell you why I'm doing that because because the female lead stole the show Jennifer Lawrence as oh, I as, loved her. as the young PhD candidate amazing uh, Meryl Streep as the president mm. just 
just fantastic. You know, Meryl, why have you been playing all these serious characters down the years? <laughs> I want you playing, you know, hard right-wing presidents. And, and wow, ditto Kate Blanchett. Like, yeah. no more serious roles for you, Kate. I want you playing ditzy TV host because <laughs> she did that absolutely magnificently. So the women carried the show and I want you to carry it here. What, 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 give, us, give us the vibe. Okay. So I will preface this by saying that I saw a lot of conversations online being very hypercritical of this movie, right? And so I did enter it with a cynical mindset. And I have to say, like, I do think that it was pretty ham-fisted in general. And I think that there were ways that it was very self-congratulatory and kind of, yeah, just a bit smug, Mm. to be honest. Um, Especially because, you know, it leans so hard on this idea of... um, Uh, you know, the right wing failing to listen to climate change scientists. And it's like, yeah, but also has anybody who has been on the centre of that uh, politics been really addressing climate change in an effective way as well? Like, this is really, like, bipartisan um, failures. That's a very good point. It did make it a sort of one-sided denialism act. Totally. It? it was just this sort of like smug liberal thing. I don't know. But I mean, I do think that from start to finish, it was genuinely very entertaining. And like I said, I watched this just before I went to sleep last night and it gave me some really weird dreams. Um, but <laughs> yeah, how did you find it? Uh, look, I, I actually loved it. I, I thought... Um I mean, in a sense, it was about denialism. And in a sense, we've moved on from denialism. And you and I discussed this in the podcast late last year, that that we've arrived now at, oh, what can we do-ism or it's too hard-ism. You know, mm. we've sort of got past denialism. So that's almost yesterday's issue with climate change. But, but Yeah, totally. But, I agree with that. But um, having said that, they... You know, the satire worked. The satire, it was a simple satirical device and it, it really did work. You've got to give them credit. They they did hit a very sweet spot and they got it right. And I think the last line um, nailed it. You know, Leo DiCaprio, it turns out, improvised the last line. And the last line of the movie, without giving it away, I don't think it's a spoiler for, for those who haven't seen it, but, you know, it was going to be Jennifer Lawrence just, just saying... Um, well, we tried. Wait, this uh, is t- full spoiler territory. Everybody, if you haven't listened, oh, sorry, if you haven't watched the movie, don't listen to this next 15 seconds of Andy's. Whistle this. to yourself. Yep. Do, 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 Walk do, away, do, make do, a tea. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Um, it was going to be, well, we tried. And DiCaprio instead, instead says, we really did have everything. And, mm. and it's very poignant. And look, it was super poignant for an American climate scientist, Peter Kalmus. Now, Kalmus, I've interviewed before, great bloke. Uh, works at NASA's uh, Jet Propulsion Lab and doesn't fly. So there's a guy who uh, works on making things fly that won't fly and won't fly because of his cl- and, uh, because of his climate change stance. He he takes it seriously. But he wrote a terrific uh, piece in the Guardian. It was titled "Don't Look Up Captures the Madness I See Every Day." It resonated deeply with him. I rang Peter. I said, Peter. Um, Tell me more. Give give a bit to the Green Canary. Here's what Peter Kalmer said. He actually just messaged me. He said, for me, the film was emotionally cathartic. After 16 years of trying to warn humanity about the climate emergency and being almost completely ignored, I think its success indicates a latent climate anxiety within society and that people are finally starting to recognise how the fossil fuel capitalists have betrayed our entire species. He goes on. Uh, I'll read it all, just a couple more lines. It's yeah, heartening to see a climate film 
poised to become the most successful film ever for Netflix. And I hope it means we get more mainstream climate storytelling in the near future. This could help break media silence, which has been such a barrier to building a mainstream climate movement. So mm. that's that's a great last thought, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't already, I would suggest reading that column because, yeah, it's a fantastic point and yeah. a really great perspective on it. But now we are going to transition into what we are calling the mulch of the week, which mm. is, okay, we've experimented hard with these mm. titles for a long time, but we're trying, to get, we're trying to pin this one down. We like it. So the mulch is the shorter stories that we're interested in, right? Tell them quickly. Talk fast. Okay. All right. So, yes, we're heading into the first one. So I want to talk about a new report from the Australia Institute, and that has found that Western Australia are getting, like, such extraordinarily little benefit from the gas fields. Uh, This new report says that only 1% of the revenue from these gas fields has actually gone back into the state, which amounts to $430 million dollars which is about half of the cash that WA collected from motor vehicle registrations uh, in this period that they've looked at, which is pretty wild. Um, yeah, so that would be in the bad category of I, the mulch I think so, I think week. so. And so so too would this. And it's in the same part of the world up there uh, in the waters between Western Australia and Indonesia. Uh, there was an oil spill in 2009, um, the Montara oil spill. Um you know, the, the the Australian government inquiry uh, found that the Australian subsidiary of the Thai oil company, PTTEP, was negligent. So that's what happened. Bunch of oil spilled. Um, it's been a story in the news this week. A friend of mine, Ben Doherty, good journo, at, at great journo, you know, um, at, at The Guardian has, has um, found that 12 years later, there's still been no compensation. Mm. People are still fighting for compensation. He profiled a little seaweed farmer, you know, had a thriving little seaweed business, built a brick wall in his house for the first time. It's always the small details in journalism that get you. For the first time, his seaweed business, business allowed him to build a proper wall in his house and send his kids to university. All gone. I uh, don't, yeah, know, don't right. know if the walls come down, but you get the point. Uh, because no compensation from the oil spill that ruined his seaweed business, not happy. Oh, God. Okay. Well, let's head into like slightly a weirder story and maybe mm. a more, I was about to say more positive note to end on, <laughs> but it's not entirely. Okay. So this is a study that I found, which was looking at the disgust around cultured meats. So I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but basically there is the technology to produce animal meat in vitro cell cultures, which has been rumored in many ways to be like the next advance in ethical meat production. Turns out not a lot of people actually want to eat it because it grosses them out. Would you eat one? No. And although I do wonder what's in those meat pies you occasionally uh, eat at a roadside stop over summer, but no, (laughs) I wouldn't. Yeah, well, you're not alone because apparently 35% of meat eaters won't do it and about 55% of vegetarians find it really gross as well. Hmm. It's interesting. All right. Well, before we wrap up this week, uh, I would also like to speak briefly about Tonga and the volcano erupt eruption that happened on Saturday. Uh, At this point, uh, while we're recording, ships and planes have been sent out to assess the damage and nobody quite knows the full extent yet of what's happened. But we do know that it's been devastating and people on Tongatapu are missing following the tsunami. We just want to say that our hearts go out to our Pacific neighbours and we hope that whatever aid you need arrives quickly and our thoughts are with you. 
Well said, Elfie. Yeah, um, and as always, before we wrap up, we'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Very well said also. And before we go, I would remind you all that you can follow us on social media and say hello to us. We want to be nice and chatty. Uh, we're at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We're at Green Canary Media, aren't we, Elfie, on uh, Insta? I hope so. Otherwise, I've sure been logging into the wrong account. <laughs> and um, you can email us if you want to get our weekly newsletter. Uh, which I've been writing and I'm putting a lot of heart and soul into it this year and it's going to have all the news plus a whole stack more. We are hello at thegreencanary.co. That's it, just co.co. Hello at thegreencanary.co. Hello and goodbye for now. <laughs> oh, my God. How did you do that? I don't know. All right. See you next week. Signing off. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>